All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, as we come out of our moment of worship, we just wanted to say thank you again for joining us for our service immediately following our Easter Sunday. And regardless of where you were coming from, whether you'd been a seasoned Christian for many years or you were just coming in new, considering the faith and really considering the claims of Jesus and what it means to serve him, we hope that you got a better understanding of who he is, what he's done for you, and the great love that's drawing you to himself. So welcome again to our service today. As we go into our following weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start a new series. And this new series is going to be called True Contentment. And it's gonna be called True Contentment because we want it to be something in the midst of um, the continued pandemic and the spread of uh, the coronavirus, um, something that could help you to unpack what may be going on in your own soul uh, during this time that we have to for maybe more self-reflection and maybe more um, in-depth study of ourselves and God than we've had for many months or years. And we want it to be something that can be powerfully used to draw you into greater relationship with Jesus Christ. So today, if you're joining us, we're going to be um, focusing on this fact that true contentment comes as Jesus meets our greatest needs and puts to rest our greatest fears. I'm going to repeat that, that true contentment comes as Jesus meets our greatest needs and puts to rest our greatest fears. So let's pray as we get into this word together. Father God, I thank you so much for your great love for us and your great design of our hearts and minds that are to be turned towards you. God, I'm praying that today as we study your word, that you would give us great revelation of not only who you are, but how you've designed us and how you've uh, really engineered things so that we would look to you we would look to your ways, we would look to your cross, and really be saved by your work in our hearts and lives. God, I'm asking that you would bless this word with understanding with it to every listener today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today, as we talk about contentment, we want to start with a clear definition of contentment to make sure that we're on the same page. A lot of times people have different definitions of what they really mean when they say I'm, an, I'm a content person or I'm living a contented life. Well, the Oxford American Dictionary says this, that contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. And boy, is that relevant to all of us because it's the pursuit of this happiness and satisfaction that we see around us all the time. Whether you look on the news, in the media, on your social feeds, Everybody is in the hunt for this sense of happiness and satisfaction. What's interesting about this definition, though, is that it's of late Middle English origin, and it denoted the payment of a claim, the payment of a claim. And ironically, this is important to us because it's daily that we have things making claims on our contentment, primarily in the way of our needs and our fears. And so today, when we're understanding how our needs and our fears and our embrace of them, our lack thereof, uh, really drives our contentment or our lack thereof, 
what we want to do is we want to look into the Word of God and find out if God's given us a solution for true contentment in our lives. And so today, if you have a Bible, let's open to 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And there we're going to look at maybe a more obscure passage, but both this week and next week, we're going to look at these passages through the lens of a man who was an Old Testament Israeli prophet named Elisha, who lived during the uh, 800s BC, and he was ministering to the people of Israel during this time and ministering God's supernatural truth and power, trying to bring the people into an understanding of who their creator is and how he intends them to relate with him. Now, these are lessons that we can learn today, specifically as we dive into this understanding of what God means by true contentment. So let's start in chapter 2, verse 19. Elijah's speaking, and it says this, Now the men of the city said to Elijah, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He, meaning Elijah, said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elijah spoke. Now, this is one of these supernatural passages where if you're not willing to dig a little bit, you might miss the point of it. And the reason that we're covering this today is because I think contentment is one of those issues that if you're not aware and you're not paying attention and you're not willing to dig a little bit, you might miss the fact that you don't actually have the contentment that God intends for you. But let's look at what this scripture itself is trying to communicate to us about contentment. First, let's just look at some of the highlights or at least six points that the scripture is uh, talking about here. Number one, when we look at it, we see that the city was pleasant, but the water was bad. Number two, we see that the water hadn't always been bad, lest the ancient city could not have grown up around the source. Something during Elisha's time had changed. And maybe in your life, you'd up to the point of the pandemic and the breakout, you might have considered your life a pleasant land and your frame of reference a pleasant place to be. But during this pandemic, something's changed. But when we go back to the scripture, we also see that the water was what was used to meet the needs of the land. And number four, that the lack of fruitfulness came from the water that was contaminated in some way. That number five, Elisha called for a new bowl to address the contamination. And that number six, finally, the answer was to throw salt into the bowl for the supernatural healing of the water so that the land could be fruitful. These are all things that we see if we just unpack the scripture a little bit. We're going to come back to this in a little bit, but let's start by 
talking about contentment and true contentment in regards to our greatest needs. What we've got to understand is that we've all been created by God and God himself designed our greatest needs. Some of those needs, if you think about them, are things like relationships. We all want a sense of healthy relationships, whether it be with our family, our friends, our co-workers, or our community at large. Number two, we have a great need for provision. We all want to have a sense of stability, having a roof over our heads and a, a, a check in our bank account. We want to be able to provide for food and our, for our families. And we all, number three, want a sense of purpose. We all want a sense of purpose, knowing that my life is actually significant and that it means something. In the, 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 when I get out of bed in the morning, it's for a reason and that it actually counts. It matters if I show up or not. And I think that these are all things that God designed. But when we understand that these are things that are not just particularly to you or to me, but to all humanity, we understand that God designed them. And we, when we have these things in life, we're actually truly content. When we have these things in life, we're actually truly content. And this was reflected in a 2018 Psychology Today article written by um, a Dr. Suzanne Deggs White. And she summarized basically five things that are particular to human contentment. And what's interesting about them is that they reflect some of the biblical mandates that we're about to go into when we understand how God designed us and the specific needs that he's given us to reach contentment. So follow me if you would with a listing of these five things. When In this Psychology Today article, she wrote that number one, to find human contentment, Human beings need relationships to enjoy optimum well-being and happiness. I think we could all agree to that. Even if you find yourself a more reserved person or somebody who might uh, not always like being the life of a party or in the midst of big crowds, you know that intrinsically you need relationship. Number two, she said that being kind to others is essential to finding a sense of personal happiness that our human brains are actually wired so that we feel joy when we behave in altruistic ways. That's interesting, that we actually find a greater sense of contentment when we're kind. Number three, she said that acknowledging the abundance of your own life, no matter how austere or extravagant it might be, and experience gratitude for these people, experiences, and things also positively contribute to a sense of well-being, meaning if you have a heart of thankfulness, you're more content than if you're always thinking about what you don't have. Number four, she said that finding a sense of meaning and purpose in your pursuits in life are necessary to contentment and happiness. Believing that you're contributing something beyond yourself and being a part of something larger than your individual existence are also necessary to experience a feeling of peace that is a part of happiness. See, all these things are going back to God's design that we'll get to in a little moment here. And finally, number five, I, I think this is a pursuit that all of us are going after in the midst of this quarantine in some measure, but she said number five, making healthy lifestyle choices in terms of your basic needs. Uh, like sleep, nutrition, and exercise also contributes to 
your happiness in life. So all of a sudden, these are packaging that somebody from a secular mindset is basically giving and saying, I'm studying the human frame. I'm studying the human psyche. And I'm saying that these are things, whether she's acknowledging God or not, that actually attribute to human contentment and human satisfaction, human happiness. But the interesting thing is, is that whether we acknowledge it or not, all these insights actually have their roots in biblical mandates. Meaning we think about it as new research or new discoveries, but all of these are ancient wisdom. They come from the biblical mandates of God. And we'll discuss these more in a moment, but these are the things that encompass our true needs. Now, if we get a grasp of our true needs before God, designed by God, we have to progress a little bit and understand what's actually come to compete for our sense of contentment. And that sense of contentment is diminished whenever we acknowledge our greatest fears. Not only has God designed us for with great needs, he's, we also have a competing force of fear that tries to strike at our contentments. And the truth of the matter is, is just as God's designed us with our greatest needs, God also knows our greatest fears, our greatest fears that try to steal our contentment from us. And going back to the scripture with the Elijah reference, what we see is that when the water is bad, we're trying to make our first connection here. When the water is bad, the counterpart to our needs are the fears that our needs won't actually be met. And when we have a fear that our needs won't be met, it comes to choke out contentment in our lives. So each of these needs, if we just go to the main three that I was talking about at the beginning, uh, our relationships, our need for provision, and our need for purpose, each of them have fears that are counterparts. And for relationships, uh, the counterpart may be, I have a fear of loneliness. God's giving me this great need for relationship, but I have a fear of loneliness. And when I fear that I won't have the relationships in my life that were going to make me happy and going to satisfy me, whether it be a marital relationship or a, or a parent-child relationship or a co-worker relationship, it strikes at the contentment that I have in my heart. In regards to provision, if I, if I, the counterpart of that would be a sense of lack, a fear of lack. And if I fear that I'm not going to have enough to make ends meet, that as my hours are being reduced in the midst of this pandemic, or I, I have in fact been laid off in some manner, then I'm going to experience some sort of lack. I can't have the contentment that God actually intended for me. Or how about purpose? Uh, the counterpart, I think, the extreme counterpart of a sense of purpose is literally a fear of death. And it's because death is the end of all earthly purpose. But whenever we look at the Bible, we see that God not only created us with needs, he not only knows our deepest fears, he comes with his word to address both to give us clear definition of the needs he's created with us with, and then 
to counteract the fears that we experience in the midst of our human frailty to bring us only in him and his son, Jesus Christ, to a place of contentment. So let's look at this. Let's look at how he does this. How does God bring good news in all of these areas to remedy every need and every fear? Let's start with loneliness. There was a woman many of you are familiar with. She's passed away now, but her name was Mother Teresa. And she said, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. The most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. And the fear that comes out of us in the midst of our need for relationship is this, this question, this, it may keep you up at night sometimes, even now during these hours where we haven't seen the people that we love for weeks or years be, or beyond FaceTime or calls. We, we might think about these things. We ask ourselves the question, am I going to be forgotten? Does anybody care enough about me in the midst of this social distancing and this isolation that they're going to remember me, my need for relationship or my need for connection? And it's exacerbated because there's been a cataclysmic shift in our culture. And in our culture today, people are driven by this fear that if people don't see you or see what you do, then you or what you do don't actually count. There's this fear that if I'm not seen on, in the public eye, whether in person or th on things like social media, and I'm not in front of people all the time, that somehow I don't matter. And even as we look forward to being together in the flesh one day, I'm, I'm so thankful for our technology where many of our community groups have been getting together virtually to counteract that fear. Counteract that fear and obey the scripture where God gives us a, a, a road to contentment in the area of relationships, to counteract loneliness. When he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, meaning the day of God's appearing and his final judgment drawing near. See, there, we often had excuses before when we couldn't physically make it to a place to join together. But now by God's mercy and grace, that's been removed from us. And through technology, we have this opportunity to reach a greater place of contentment than we ever have before because we're actually able through means such as these to get together across distances, across time and space, to be able to understand that God sees us, God hears us, and we matter to him and to the people he's put in our lives who we matter to. I think of one of the scriptures out of Isaiah when God was talking to the Israelites, addressing this idea of loneliness. And he said this in Isaiah chapter 49, starting in verse 14. He says, but Zion said, 
the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. But God replies to that thought and says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And that's a powerful thought coming from God, that God said, listen, when you belong to him, he thinks so much of you that he's literally engraved you metaphorically on the palms of his hands. And though a nursing mother may forget her child, God won't forget you. He strikes at that fear of loneliness by the truth of his word, his eternal everlasting word. But he doesn't just stop in the area of relationship. He goes on to provision. And when we have a fear of lack, he talks about how to achieve a sense of contentment in him. And it's not in a static manner, because we all know that we've had ups and downs. All of us have had ups and downs in our lives, times that we have been in plenty, times that we've been in want. But God talks about in his word contentment that can be achieved when you have provision and when you don't. And he started off by having a man named John the Baptist, a forerunner of Jesus Christ, say this. In Luke 3.14, he was talking to soldiers and he said, soldiers also asked him, meaning John the Baptist, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money when you've got it from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. When you've got it, be content. Be thankful that you have a job and rest in the provision of God. He goes on from another author, the Apostle Paul, and says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 12, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing, anything, cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And when people can't be content with what they have, with their food and clothing, then it drives them past a place of contentment, always being driven by the fear of lack. But when, even when you have, this is how God says, if you have plenty, this is how you should live in a contented way. Going down further in 1 Timothy 6, in verse 17, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are, meaning those who have, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And that which is truly life is a place of contentment in God when you're living according to his way and by his design. What, what happens though when 
lack actually hits us. Well, God tells us we can be content even in that place as well. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul's writing and he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, which some of us have been during this time. And he says, and I know how to abound. He says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, people often misquote that verse, but that's the actual context of it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whether in plenty or in want. And it's because the writer of Hebrews exhorts us that we should keep our life free from the love of money and be content with what we have in chapter 13, 5 and 6, because God himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why you can be content, because God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And ultimately, it's death that knocks at all of our doors and tries to strike at our contentment. But God strikes back once again with his word and through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says this in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Jesus Christ, likewise partook of the same things that through his death that we talked about last week during our Easter service, through his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, God is saying even the striking at a sense of contentment because I'm lacking a sense of purpose because it one day ends in death. He says, I'm dealing with that by conquering death through my son, Jesus. And when he went to the cross for you, he took the punishment, the sin, and the shame that led us to death so that through his sacrifice, we might receive an exchange from him and receive his life in exchange for his death. And through his resurrection from the dead, we're freed from our fear of death and thus our fear of lacking purpose. Also our fear of not being content because my life actually means something in him. There's actually a great website for those of you who are exploring. It's called exploregod.com. And there you can find different articles, maybe some answers to questions that you've been going through when you're considering contentment and life's purpose and the meaning of Jesus and his sacrifice for you. But Jesus is literally the salt. Jesus is literally, and his gospel, his good news are literally the salt that went into that bowl to supernaturally heal the water that made it unfruitful in our lives. And in a particular article on this website, they were talking about contentment and they were talking about what the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote something that is encouraging to us during our time when he said, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. When I'm trying to find contentment, my stability needs to be not in what I see around me, but what's unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen 
where my confidence and my contentment should come from is eternal. He's the, the writer of this article said that C.S. Lewis, the author, hinted at this idea when he famously suggested, if we find ourselves rather with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were meant for another world. The question, though, is what kind of world, another world, did Lewis mean? The new world described for us in the book of Revelation came this way. This is where our foundation of contentment should come from. He said this in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 3 through 5. Then I, meaning John the Revelator, saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he, meaning God, the source of contentment will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. And that's good news during times like these or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So all the things that struck at you, at your contentment, because of those fears were striking at the very design of God and the needs he created you with. He said, I'm going to make all those things new in him. And going finally back to the fact that Jesus is the one who meets all of our needs and ends all of our fears, we understand that the city in that Elijah story, the city was pleasant, but the water was making it bad and unfruitful. That the water was what was used to meet the needs of the land. Or how about this, our needs. But the lack of fruitfulness comes when the water is bad, when the fears destroying our contentment come to make us an unsettled people. Elijah called, though, for a new bowl. And maybe now and this time, God is calling you to new disciplines and new habits, a new faith where you could turn from all of the fearful living that you are in and turn to the one who said he's trying to write you on the palm of his hand, never leaving you, never forsaking you, calling you to himself and his contentment through Jesus, his son. He says a new bold, establishing new faith and new patterns in your life. And the answer was, according to Elijah, to throw the salt into the bowl for the healing of the water so that the land could be fruitful, so that you could actually be content. What was that salt? It was the word of God. It was the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's holiness. Why do I say that? Because it's out of this contentment that the church has a divine purpose during this time. And when we understand that my needs are met and I'm actually content in him, then I can actually live like Jesus said to live. In Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, we're going to end here. He says this, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He's saying no more of that. Come out of that place of discontent and come into a place of contentment. He said, why you are the light of the world, a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. And so in the midst of this spread of this pandemic, he's saying, 
I'm trying to put my people, the salt of the earth, in the midst of all that's going wrong, all that's going wrong around us to bring people who are so worried, so dissatisfied into a place of eternal contentment and peace with the living God through Jesus Christ. And so the cross of Jesus Christ is ultimately what made all of this a possibility for us. At the cross, Jesus became a substitutionary sacrifice that we might first be reconciled to God. As we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus, we're adopted into the family of God with a heavenly father who provides, saying that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have a heavenly home being prepared for us so that death no longer has a sting against us. And in these ways, we can live all our days content and full of praise. Now, some of you have been listening to this, and if you were honest with yourself, you could resonate with the things that I was talking about. You've tried to live life on your own, and you found a persistent, nagging sense of discontent, and it's eating away at your very soul, and the sin that comes out of your life is only a product of that lack of content. And you know it's destroying you. You know it's destroying your relationship with a God who loves you. But today you hear this and you say, I don't want any more of it. I'm turning today. I'm repenting today. And I want to put my trust in Jesus. And I want him to save my life. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I thank you for your love for me. And I thank you that you've created me with great needs. And even though I've been driven by great fears, you came with on a rescue mission in Jesus to save me from those fears. God, you came to save me from Satan, sin, death, and hell. And I'm asking that today you would forgive me for my wrongdoing and my rebellion against you, the ways that I've lived outside of your ways and your purposes for my life. I turn from these things and I turn to you. I'm asking you to forgive me and make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus died on that cross for me and was resurrected three days later after living a sinless life so I could have forgiveness of sins and new life in you. I confess him as my Lord today. I'm asking you to teach me how to love you and follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer, I'm excited to tell you that God's got a new life and new walk for you. We're going to ask you to go to secondcitychurch.com slash new life, where you can find instruction about how to take the new next steps in him. Thank you so much for joining us in our worship service today. We love you. God loves you more. God bless you and have a wonderful week in him. See you next week.